0: On this Trinity Sunday, the Sunday after Pentecost, listen to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, of the age. This is indeed the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we are going to visit a musty library in Istanbul, an overgrown ravine in Macon, and a nameless mountain in Galilee. Buckle your seat belts. We begin in 1873 in a dark monastery tucked away in what was then Constantinople where a curious monk rummaging through the shelves of the library finds a copy of an ancient, ancient manuscript called um, The Teaching of the 12 Disciples. Actually, the short name for it is the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. That book that he found would have made Indiana Jones proud. It was that kind of a discovery. That book, which had been rumored to have existed for thousands of years, uh, had now been discovered in Constantinople. It's 20, you could read it in 20 minutes, but it goes all the way back to uh, AD somewhere between 20 and 50. Jesus has only been uh, raised from the dead just a few years when it was written. This little book which told the church how to organize itself. Here's how we have communion here's how we baptize, here's how we pray. What an amazing discovery, Uh, purportedly uh, words of Jesus given to the 12 disciples to organize the life of the church. Oh, such an amazing, amazing discovery. You can buy it on eBay for $1.44, or you can get Uh, another copies of it with commentaries for nine or ten dollars. You can get the book today. You ask yourself, how is a book like that lost for almost 1800 years? I mean, what idiot lost that book? It would be akin to some of us saying, "I, I don't have the Declaration of Independence anymore or the Gettysburg Address. Well, you may not be fascinated by that question, but I am and I'll get back with you on that later in this sermon. But go with me uh, for just a few minutes now to that ravine I was talking about um, in Macon. It is um, enclosed by West and East Buford Street, just down uh, the way from Ingleside Village Pizza. And if you've driven down there, which I did again just before coming to this session today, you will see this overgrown park. Actually, it's not a park. It's just an an overgrown creek on a very hilly spot. It is so overgrown that I think David Livingston himself would not have dared to hack his way through the kudzu, the smilax. Uh, the trash trees, the Virginia creeper, the English ivy, it is a scary-looking place. But also on that place, if you drive around slowly, sooner or later, you're going to find a small flock of sheep and one billy goat. And those little critters are having a very happy day even as I preach because they are munching their way through that park. Hang in there with me for a while. I'm gonna come back to that park a little bit later on in this sermon. Now go with me to that mountain in Galilee. We don't know the name of the mountain, but Jesus is on that mountain with the 11 disciples after the resurrection. And he has these last words for his dear, dear friends. Uh, you know what you call somebody's uh, last address, uh, somebody's last uh, words. It's, there's a name for that kind of a speech. It's called a valedictory, which is the fancy name I've given this sermon. Uh, some of us have been to uh, valedictory speeches before. Uh, we remember them as being dreadful and far too long, uh, except of course, if you who are listening were some of those who gave one of those speeches, then I'm sure it was uh, it was stunning because you were the valedictorian who gave the valedictory. But please take note of something very different about Jesus' valedictory. Uh, some of this is about what he said and what he did not say. The first major difference is Jesus' valedictory is four sentences long. Don't we wish the valedictory speeches we suffered through were only four sentences? And in those four sentences, Jesus essentially told the church what he wanted them to do. Baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach everything I've commanded you and make disciples of people. And what is also interesting to me is that I believe Jesus, when he said those words, probably successfully resisted the last temptation, which was to say a whole bunch more. Because he knew these 11 disciples. He knew what they were capable of. He knew what they were capable of messing up. And he might have liked to have said not four sentences, but four chapters, not four chapters, but four books, not four books, but 40 books. But he stops with four sentences and trusts them to take it from there. Go baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't talk about how much water. He doesn't talk about whether you're to baptize babies or adults. He doesn't talk about whether you're supposed to teach them before you baptize or after, or who can do the baptize. Just go baptize. Figure it out for yourselves, guys. Uh, Go make of all disciples. He doesn't define for them who a disciple is. He doesn't say to them, you need to have Sunday school first. We've got to have training union. We've got to have sword drill. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. Go make disciples. Figure it out. I've lost my spot here. Baptize make disciples and teach everything uh, that I have uh, commanded you to teach. Uh, Again, Jesus doesn't say, oh, do that at 11 o'clock church. He doesn't say whether we're supposed to have choirs. Uh, He doesn't say whether we're supposed to ordain preachers. Um, In fact, he doesn't even mention the word church. Baptize, teach, and make disciples. What he is saying to the disciples is, be nimble. Situations change. We've got to be flexible. And, and I'm going to give you a few key words, and you go out and figure out how to do that. And how you're going to do it tomorrow may not be how you do it the next week, or the next year, or in the next city, or in the next country. Why the reason I've been thinking about this right now is because uh, with this pandemic upon us, the church is really called to be quite flexible. Every institution is called to be flexible. What are we doing? What's the most important thing we can do? How should we do it? We can't gather crowds today. How are we supposed to make disciples? We can't sing in public. How are we supposed to do this? Um, and and the church that is flexible and nimble and creative is going to figure out in the coming days and weeks and months how we teach and baptize and make disciples in new ways. And those institutions that cannot figure out uh, who are so rigid who are so stuck to their old ways are going to be in big trouble. So I'm convinced that the church, in its best years, has always had that flexibility and that nimbleness uh, about it. One of the only uh, bright spots of the last few weeks um, has been the uh, launch successfully of uh, our two American astronauts on SpaceX. What has been so exciting about that is that SpaceX is a private company. And SpaceX had to compete against NASA and Boeing, two very highly successful but rigid uh, companies or corporations or government entities. And why SpaceX succeeded so well is that where our government was buying parts for $100 a piece, SpaceX went on eBay and found you could get the same parts for two or three dollars a piece. And one particular example that just blows my mind is the time during the engineering when SpaceX needed a particular kind of a a tank um, for one of their booster rockets, and they couldn't quite figure out where that was going to come from. That evening, one of their engineers got in his car. As he was driving home, he looks out to the right. There in the city dump sits the kind of tank he needs. He looks at it, he can't believe his eyes. He stops the next day, buys the tank out of the city dump, takes it back, and he and the engineers uh, engineer this so that it becomes a successful part of that rocket. Well today we have not only pandemic, but on top of that we have uh, such uh, deep uh, sorrow over the racial situation in our country. And it is incumbent upon the church to ask ourselves in this day, in these times for the living of this age, 2020, how can we be a church that teaches baptizes makes disciples and does so in such a way that is racially sensitive and reaches out for that justice that all of god's people want this is a a fertile time for our church a fertile time for every church as we hear in just four sentences this valedictory of Jesus okay I know you're dying to hear my theory on why they lost the Didache well here it is the Didache served them well probably for about 20 years and then somebody said you know we ought to add chapter 13 on the church finance committee And then a few years after that, somebody said, let's add chapters 14, 15, and 16 on whether we ought to have carpet in the sanctuary or not. And then before long, somebody said, let's go back and look at chapter one again. I think we need a comma where there's that semicolon. And by the way, while we're at it, let's add 17 more paragraphs as well to explain that word. And then 50 years after that, somebody said, I'm gonna rewrite the whole thing and we'll call it the revised uh, common uh, version, the revised standard version. And before long, they just took that original little pamphlet and they stuck it back in the church closet uh, with the brooms and the dustpans. And they never found it for another 1800 years. I can't resist showing you the difference between the 1898 Book of Discipline and the 2016 Book of Discipline of our church. See that? Look at the sizes there. I think that's why uh, the Didache was lost. It was overtaken, and the church was overtaken by regulation. Well, that gets me back to my friends, the sheep and the goat. What have they been doing over there? they have been restoring um, a beautiful piece of property by chewing up and getting rid of all of the unnecessary undergrowth. If you drive past there, you're gonna be amazed at what that uh, goat and those sheep have done. Where there used to be a bunch of trash trees, now they are just spindly little toothpicks. They've been stripped naked. There isn't any more kudzu. There isn't any more uh, Virginia creeper. In the areas that those animals have gotten finished with, uh, the city's gonna be getting pretty close to making that into a beautiful piece of property that has value um, as a contemplative kind of a park for its neighborhood. And I think there needs to be some chewing done in the church to get rid of some of the same kind of undergrowth that we uh, might be uh, better equipped to do what Jesus originally called us to do. You say to me, well, preacher, that's easy enough for you to say you're an old retired guy. Why didn't you do that while you were our preacher for 12 years? And yeah, I probably should have done a little more munching and chewing and clearing of the undergrowth, but, I still think it needs to be done. And my prayer is that in, uh, in these days ahead of us, that we might get back to teaching, to baptizing, to making disciples in such a way that we become real and alive and relevant to the people in Macon, Georgia and Bibb County and beyond. So let's finish up on the mountain again today, Jesus gives the words, they're still as relevant as they were, four sentences long, baptize, teach, make disciples, and his last word, very last words he says in the Gospel of Matthew, in which I take great comfort, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen and amen.